my Christmas cookie tutorial. For more easy cookie decorating, please subscribe to my channel. awesome. Really? Yeah. What, you made those all by yourself? Oh, yeah. Where'd you learn how to do it? You made those all by yourself. <laughs> Dad, I was watching those YouTube oh, videos. I'm so yeah. good at decorating cookies. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Hey, we should go carry them. That's kind of like some of your Christmas week has been, huh? As you've been preparing, cooking, getting ready. So, hey, it's good to have all of you at all our churches this morning as we begin a three-week Christmas series. And uh, when we ever, whenever we say like a Christmas sermon series, that kind of thing, we just mean like a conversation that is like broken up into multiple parts so that the conversation doesn't go extra long today. And so to begin our conversation today, and as we're starting the series entitled Who Needs Christmas, I want you to think about this. Think about it this way. If we were to compare our Christmas experience as adults, most likely our Christmas experiences would be very different. But think about this. If we compared our Christmas experiences as children, I think they most likely would have more in common than what most of us would think. I mean, think about one of the things that most of us as children had in common. And that was this, the agonizing wait for Christmas. Remember that? Like counting down the days to Christmas. I remember as a kid, it just like, it took forever for Christmas to get here. Like, see, my dad was an only child. And so there were only three grandchildren. And my granny Smith, man, she would load us up. Now, on the other side, my grandpa Yoder and, and grandma Yoder, they, they really loved us. But they had like 50-something children, right? Grandchildren, right? They had like eight or nine of their own kids, and then all of them had like eight or nine kids, except for my mom and dad. They stopped with three because of my youngest sister, and then they said, that's enough of them. And then, then, wait, and then they went out and adopted one, right? So there was four of us because they were like, we don't want another one of those things that came out of our womb, right? We're going to get what we want to pick because my, younger, my, my, my sister, Pam— who is like watching right now on the Blountstown campus. She's going to kill me for this. They're like, that's enough of Pam's, right? That's enough. Now, um, but it was just like my granny and granddaddy Smith, man, they would load us up with Christmas presents. And um, man, the few days right before Christmas, they were like the longest days of the year for me. I mean, so long that some of us, like we couldn't wait. 
Like, how many of you did this? This is, like, I did this, and I know some of my sisters did this. How many of you, like, look for the gifts that your parents, or in our case, our grandparents, had hidden in the house, right? You, you do that? On oh, Oliver Cam's yeah, some of you raising your hand, you're being honest. Like, here's the big one. How many of you at some point found them? Yeah, my granny thought she would hide them every year under all these blankets and all that kind of stuff. You know, we'd find them. And then how many of you were kind of like one of my sisters one time who got it out and played with it, right? <laughs> like, I remember one year finding the gifts my granny had bought for me, my granny Smith, and it was like the Tonka construction equipment set. Remember that? You know, like the dump truck, the front end loader, the grader, and all these other pieces of equipment. Man, it just made the agony of that Christmas waiting for it even more because I knew there was no way I could get it out of the box and play with it. It's like, it just wasn't going to happen because it would be so obvious. And so the misery of waiting for Christmas, especially that year, it was almost unbearable. But you know what was good about Christmas or the great thing about Christmas was this, and that is that no matter how long or how slow it felt like it took to get Christmas here, Christmas always came, right? Like you could always count on the promise of Christmas. Now, now here's the interesting thing about this. Waiting was like this enormous part of the dynamic of the very first Christmas, like for several thousand years, there was this group of Jewish people who lived like every single day of their life. They lived it in obedience to God's commands and they waited and they hoped every single day, not for Santa Claus to rise or arrive, I should say, but for God to come and fulfill his promise that he had made to them. Why did they wait every single day? Because like 2,000 years previous to that, God had supposedly appeared to their forefather Abraham and he said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you know what? That actually happened. And then he says, and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. And you know what? That actually happened as well. And then God said to Abraham, he says, listen, and here's the thing, Abraham, you're going to be like this blessing and I'm going to bless those that bless you and all the people on the earth, they're going to be blessed because of you. And that happened too for just seemingly a little season. But then it was like God's promise seemed to begin to break down and everything seemed to fall apart for Abraham's descendants when it came to that promise from God. Because see, after God made that promise and after they became a great nation, the Israelite nation, they began disobeying God. And so over the next thousand years, part of God's judgment or part of God's punishment or discipline on the nation was that the nation of Israel, they were conquered by the enemies of Israel over 25 times. And the thing you have to understand that every time they were conquered, it weakened them. And so all during this time, they became less and less and less of an influence in world events. So to people farther away from that promise, in this very weakened nation, the whole idea that somehow the whole earth was going to be blessed, 
like the whole world was going to be blessed through the nation of Israel that had no longer any power or really any world influence, that even had no real say even in their own future because they were so weak and they were being conquered and oppressed by so many other nations. That promise, it not only seemed unlikely, but in the minds of most people, they're going, it can't happen. It just can't happen. And then to like drive the nail, the final nail in the coffin of this promise, in 65 BC, Pompey the Great, he marched right in to the capital city of Jerusalem. He pushed past the temple guards, he pushed past the priests, and he marched right in to the Holy of Holies. That place where the Jewish people believe that if you went in there unannounced and you went in there uninvited, that God would strike you dead. And Pompey, he goes into the Holy of Holies and he looks around and he just kind of checks things out. And then he walks out and nothing happened to him. And the word spread throughout Jerusalem about Pompey's activity. And it was, it was kind of alarming to everyone because in their mind, because nothing happened to him, the implication was very clear clear that the Israelites God couldn't or wouldn't keep his promise and so you can imagine after thousands of years of waiting after years of waiting many the the Jewish people they begin to abandon their faith in the promise of God that he had made to Abraham And, and many of them go well that just had to be a myth or that had to be a fairy tale and many of them turned away don't miss this many of them turned away from temple worship and gave up their belief in God because like who in the world is going to devote their life to a God that doesn't come through or a God that doesn't keep his promise. But here's what's interesting. This is why this is relevant to the Christmas story. Not everybody gave up. Now, don't miss this. See, on the day that Pompey walked into the Holy of Holies, he marched in there, there was this little boy whose name was Zachariah. And I'm sure Zachariah watched And I'm sure Zechariah, after that, many years, he pondered what he just saw and heard had happened. See, you have to understand that Zechariah's father, he was a priest. And no doubt Zechariah remembered the day that his father came home and his father was overwhelmed and his father was saddened because Pompey had walked into their temple and desecrated the temple and God, their God, did nothing. And yet this little boy, Zechariah, with that memory in his background, as he grew up, he stayed faithful to God, even to the point that he went into the priesthood. And not only that, he married a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And here's what's interesting about Elizabeth. Her father was also a priest. And and I'm sure Elizabeth remembered the story. And I'm sure Elizabeth, as she grew up and knowing what happened, I'm sure she also felt the emotion of why doesn't God act on our behalf for us as a nation? What's interesting, they grew up and they became adults and and they were faithful to God and they got married and together they waited and they prayed and they trusted and they served God with all their hearts and with all their life. Now, here's why this is so relevant. Because see, at some point, 
No matter which one of our campuses you're on or whether you're listening online later, at some point in your walk with Jesus Christ, what's going to happen is you're going to end up in a season of waiting. You're going to be waiting on a promise that you think God has said to you, that God has shared with you. And God is going to seem so quiet. And God is going to seem so inactive. And God is going to seem so silent. And here's what you're going to think. You're going to start thinking things like this, like, why am I even doing this? Like, why am I attending church on a regular basis? Like, why am I serving every Sunday? Why, why am I giving? Like, why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Like, why am I missing out on what everybody else is enjoying on the weekend? Like, why am I not moving in? Or why am I not running off with somebody else? Like, why in the world am I continuing day after day to live as if there is something bigger than me? Like, am I just following this? because this is what my parents taught me, or is this just some kind of superstition that I hang on to more than something I really believe? And let me just tell you, if you have ever been in a waiting time and God seems silent, and you've ever had those thoughts, you've had those questions going, God, how can you allow all this stuff to be happening to me? And I don't see you doing anything, God. Or maybe you're right in one of those periods right now and you're going, God, you haven't done anything for me lately. Here's what I want you to know this morning. The Christmas story is for you. It's for you. Because out of the story that we're going to hear about Zachariah and Elizabeth today, you'll understand how God wants us to handle and how we can handle these moments of silence when we're waiting. So today, we're going to continue in this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. I want to talk about what happens next in their story and how waiting, faithfully, trusting in God, paid off for them. Not just for them, but all of the nation of Israel and for all of us. In fact, here is how Luke tells it. If you want to follow along, there are some of uh, the verses are printed out in your notes. You can follow along on the screen or maybe that electronic device that you have or your Bible. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them, don't miss this, this is very important about their life. Both of them, referring to Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God. That's a pretty amazing statement. Wouldn't you like for that to be said about you? They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, this means that when God looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, he thought this in his mind. Man, these people, they're doing life right. Like, they're doing everything I've asked them to do. Like, they're observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. And here's the thing. If you read the Old Testament, I mean, you know all the Lord's commands and decrees. That's a lot. There's like 600 plus commands. There's so many that we don't even like to read all that stuff. And it gets so complex and so complicated. But here's a couple that is getting all of that right. They're observing. Don't miss this. They're observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But don't miss this. 
Even though God was very pleased by the way they were living, not everything was perfect for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, in one way, it probably felt to them like God had abandoned them personally. In fact, look at verse 7. Here's what it says. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So here's how things are working out for them. They get up day after day waiting on God to fulfill his promise. They get up day after day serving in the temple. They get up day after day being good to people. They get up day after day being faithful to God, missing out on all some of the fun activities of their neighbors and their community because they're going to be faithful to God. They're going to keep all of his laws and commands and live blamelessly. And this God that they are so faithful to leaves them childless, without a child. Now understand, whenever Luke wrote this, like there was this religious stigma that went on in the religious community of that day that God granted children to women based on how virtuous they were. Kind of like Santa's naughty or nice kind of list. So for a woman not to be able to be pregnant, it means that God had cursed her for some sin that she had committed in her life. And so you have Elizabeth, this righteous woman who has lived blameless before God, and she's living with this stigma, this concern that somehow in some season of her life that she had displeased God. Maybe she lived with the stigma through her young years, her middle years, and now even her later years. In fact, look at how this verse ends. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both well advanced in years. Like what Luke is saying is they were both old enough that there wasn't going to be any child. It's like it's over. Their bodies are too old. It's too late. God has done nothing for them in this area of their life. But here's what's so amazing about their faithfulness to God. If you had come to Zachariah and Elizabeth and you said, listen, here's the deal. Part of Abraham's, or God's promise to Abraham came true. Like there was a nation. And yes, part of Abraham, another part of the promise came true as well because people know Abraham's name. But listen, there's going to be a part of the promise that's never going to come true because Israel, because we're so weak and we've been conquered so many times, we're never going to have the ability to influence the world and bless all the world. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth, you just need to give it up. You need to walk away. You need to enjoy the remaining years of your life. Like God has abandoned you. Just walk away from God. Quit trusting God. You've waited long enough. Now, here's what we know. If you had said something like that to them during these difficult waiting years, they, they would have said back to you, no, no, no. We have made the decision that God is worth following even if he never does another good thing for us. They, they would have told you, hey, we're going to put our full faith and confidence in God. And because they did that, what they show us because of what happens next is that it was worth the wait because what happens next in this story is kind of the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham like 2,000 years earlier. And in this promise, what happens next 
in the fulfillment of what happens to Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's like it gives the answers to our questions. Like when we're in a waiting season, the answer to the question, is God really active? Is God really listening? Does God really even care? In fact, here's how the story goes on. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So you got to understand, by the time Zechariah comes along, there are so many priests that they have divided them into like 23 groups of priests at this point. And then what they do is they're chosen by lot is basically they draw straws to decide who gets to be the chosen priest for that season. Well, in this season, Zechariah is chosen. And so he stands right outside of the Holy of Holies where Israel, the people of Israel believe that God dwelled and everybody else kind of vacates the temple. And then he offers this special incense offering to God. And you got to understand something. This is a very, very special occasion not just for the nation of Israel, but for Zachariah as a person. I mean, this is a very sacred, special occasion, and it was very much an honor for him to be chosen. In fact, notice what happens next. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And, and here's what they're praying. They're praying for God to show up and do something, to fulfill his promise. They, they prayed for this year after year, the faithful did. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. I'm sure that's an understatement. But the angel said, which is in this next statement is a common angel greeting, do not be afraid. Zachariah. So this angel appears and, and it's like this real scary thing because whenever God shows up, I mean like, man, it's like, whoa, this is, it's a scary deal. But this angel has good news. He says, don't be afraid. In fact, notice the next part of the verse. Here's what he says. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Wouldn't we all like to hear a statement from God like that at certain times in our lives. Some of you at some of our churches today, like you're in this waiting time and, and, and you feel like God's promise to you is this, this, or this, and you've heard nothing from God. God has done nothing. Wouldn't you just like to hear that? You don't even have to hear maybe that your prayer is going to be answered. But wouldn't it just be nice sometimes when you're in this waiting time, when God is just silent, that you just got a confirmation every once in a while from God, God saying to you, I want you to know I heard your prayer. Like, wouldn't that be enough just to know that God heard it? He goes on, he says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, John, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they don't understand this fully, but he's going to be the famous John. He's going to be John the Baptist. In fact, notice what the angel tells him about John in verse 14. He says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great, literally he's going to do something great in the sight 
of the Lord. And then they tell him how to raise him. He's never to take wine or ferment a drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Notice this next line. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So why would John have to bring the people back to their God? Like, why would John have to make ready a people prepared for the Lord? Because as we said a little bit earlier, many of the people of Israel, they had already abandoned the Lord their God. Because in their minds, they had a good reason to abandon him. Like, God has not done anything for them in the last 700 years, and he made this promise 2,000 years ago, and there's not been a fulfillment of that promise. Like, yes, there's all these interesting stories of what God did for all their ancestors in the past, but the God of Israel right now has abandoned them. In their minds, that's what they thought. But notice what happens next in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. This is a smart man. Guys, pick up on how he says this. I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He didn't say anything about her being old. <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And then he says, and here's how you're going to know. Now, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I want you to think about this. Even though Zechariah had been faithful, he had been righteous. He had kept the commands and the decrees of God blamelessly. Zechariah was human just like the rest of us. And he asked a question that most of us would ask. He's like, how can I be sure of what you're saying is true? Like, how can I be sure of that? Like, after all, you've been silent for so long and, and I've served you for all of my life and, and we've prayed for this child and, and you've never gave us this child. And so how can I believe you now? And so Luke tells us that Zechariah became unable to speak until John is born so that Zechariah can understand what many of us need to understand this morning who are in a waiting season and God seems silence. And that is this, silence does not mean absent. Don't miss this. When you are waiting on God to show up in your life and to fulfill his promise, God's silence does not mean he is not at work. Which is why the angel, he says, at the appointed time. See, the angel's last line to Zechariah there is so relevant to every one of us. See, God has an appointed time to fulfill his promise and his plan in your life. 
See, when he says at the appointed time, it means that God had this day marked on his calendar. It means that all these 700 years that God seemingly has not heard the prayers of the people of Israel, that God has not done anything for the people of Israel. All these days since the glory days of David and Solomon, all these years that Elizabeth knew that she was past the age of having a child, God was watching and God was planning and God was preparing and he was waiting for just the right time. Which means for you and I, God has not quit paying attention to what's going on in your life or in my life. He has not only heard their prayers, but he's heard the prayers of his people for generation after generation and after generation. Even though God had been quiet, he had not lost interest. He was just waiting for the appointed time. And for many of you, he's just waiting for that appointed time. In fact, notice the rest of the story. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But you know what? The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's just really the warm-up act of the Christmas story. It's just really the conversation before the conversation. See, this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and this promise of John being born and that he's going to turn the hearts of people back to God and prepare people ready for the, to be ready for the Lord. Basically what? It's just evidence that God is really gearing up to do what God had planned to do all along, what God had promised Abraham 2,000 years early that he was going to do, that finally the day was going to come when God would put into action what he had planned to do, and that every nation on the earth would truly be blessed through the nation of Israel. Now, here's how Zechariah and Elizabeth's story concludes. And here is how the next part of the story, the next part of the story begins. And the beginning of the next part of the story is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. When you really stop and look at this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, you begin to realize that this is kind of like our story in some ways, isn't it? We all have a story of waiting, don't we? We all have that story where we're waiting for God to show up and do something absolutely amazing. And it seems like he's silent. It seems like he's inactive. It seems like that he, he has no interest anymore. 
And when we get in those seasons, we start asking ourselves questions like, do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we stop believing in God? Do we serve God or we just do something else with our lives? Like, do we give or do we just spend what we have knowing that this is, there's nothing else to this life other than this? Do, do we stay in this difficult marriage or do we do what everybody else is doing with their marriage and discard it? Do, do we do this shady deal or do we continue to maintain our integrity? And, and then we wonder like, why am I continuing to maintain my integrity? Because nobody else cares. Like nobody's promoting me because I'm a person of integrity. Nobody's noticing. In fact, what's happening at work is people are laughing at me behind my back because I'm a Christ follower and I'm trying to be a moral person. So what happens is we begin to wonder, like, why, why do I always try to do the right things when we're ever we're in a season of waiting? Like, why am I so narrow? Why am I so moral? Like, why am I always wondering what God thinks? Like, why do I care about living God's way and just choosing not to sin? Why do I do that? Nobody else does. God hasn't done anything for me lately. He just seems so silent. Please understand this, if that's you this morning. The story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. It's a reminder, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a reminder that even when God is silent, God is not necessarily still. Even when it seems like he's still, he's not disinterested. It's a reminder to us that God pays attention every day of your life and God is moved by those who are faithful to him. And best of all, the story of Christmas reminds us that your faith and your hope in God, it's not in vain. God keeps his promises. God fulfills his promises to us. Now, there's this story I shouldn't say a story, a song that we sing around this time of the year. And I'm, I'm not a huge Christmas uh, song fan, you know. I, I like Christmas you know, music for a period of time. But um, there are certain Christmas songs that, man, every time I hear them, they just, whew. And there's one of those songs that, um, man, it just stirs my soul. And I, I can sing it every Sunday leading up to Christmas, but our bands don't seem that to have that interest. Just hit, hit. some of y'all could help me on this. But um, anyhow, um, <clears throat> it's the song, Oh Holy Night. Because that song is so much of what we're talking about. It's like, long lay the world. You ever thought about that line when you sing that song? Long lay lay the world. The writer of that song is, is looking back at this story and they're going, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there was a group of people who waited and God was silent. In fact, here's how the line goes. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, we don't use this word pining very much anymore. But you know what the word pining means? I'm going to say this for all you men so you don't have to turn and look to your wife and ask. It means longing. It means praying. It means waiting. Long lay the world in sin and error, waiting, 
praying, longing. And Christmas is the reminder that our longing and our waiting and our agonizing, it's not in vain. It's a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. Like God is a God, it's a reminder that God is a God who keeps his promise when it seems like his promise to you is impossible to keep. And if you're with us in one of our churches today and like you're pining, you're longing, you're praying, you're waiting, you're wondering if your faith in God is misplaced, you need Christmas. See, the good news is this. If this is your situation, you're longing, you're waiting, you're praying. If this is your situation, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. God has not abandoned you. Like if this is your situation, like welcome to the common experience of those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, who have decided to follow him in spite of what happens around us. Like welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth, a couple who decided like we're going to walk blameless before God in spite in spite of what others could see, in spite of what other people said, and in spite of the fact that they could not imagine how God could ever even give them a child, much less through the nation of Israel, bless the whole world. So here's our challenge for you as we begin this Christmas season. Will you be one of the people who still pine? Will you still like long for God and his promises? Will you be that person who like, will you be that unique student or that unique teenager or that unique college student or that unique adult or that unique couple who decide like, we're not walking away from God. Will you be that unique person in the workplace that says, listen, I'm going to maintain my integrity. I'm going to follow God blamelessly, even if I don't get that promotion, even if I don't seem to be noticed. Like, see, in every generation, there is a remnant of Christians, a remnant of Christians who just stay faithful to God in spite of it looking like God is silent and that God is inactive and that God is uninterested. Will you be part of that? Will you choose to be an exa- a Zachariah and Elizabeth? Will you continue to pine for God? We just keep pining for God. Like trusting that while you wait and pray, while you wonder and while you wait, that God is waiting for the appointed time. The appointed time to show you his plan. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. If you wait, you'll find out like Zachariah and Elizabeth, oh, it's so worth the wait. The blessings of waiting on God to fulfill his plan and his purpose and his promise in your life, it is so worth the wait. And when you see it all come together, it's just this amazing thing that God does. And your faith, oh, it just goes to new levels. Long way lay the world in sin and error pining. And if you're waiting and longing, Christmas is for you. Will you bow your heads for me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, just this incredible word, this story that Luke shared with us. It's a reminder for all of us that we need Christmas. We need the reminder of Christmas in our lives. Because God, there's all of us, every one of us, we have seasons of waiting, seasons where you seem silent or absent. And some of us are right in the middle of that right now. I just pray that there'll just be a new reset in our minds. That that we're going to be faithful. That we're going to follow you. 
no matter what our circumstances, no matter what people say around us, and we're going to trust. We're going to trust you for the outcome. And God, I thank you for the reminder from Zechariah and Elizabeth's life that the wait is so worth it. It's so worth it. God, what you do in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationship with you, it's so worth the wait. So remind us this week to wait patiently and joyfully on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. Don't forget to pick up your Christmas Eve tickets on your way out, and we will see you next Sunday.